Hey everybody, it's Tommy Canale and welcome back to Before the Lights podcast. The show to find out how those in sports, music, and entertainment made their mark. His career spans over four decades. He is a man with a distinctive voice, an actor who has appeared in over 100 feature films and TV shows, along with numerous theater performances. He is best known as Buddy Garrity from the TV series Friday Night Lights. He owns Turnkey Productions 3 and is a Texas native. Please welcome to the show, Brad Leland. Brad, welcome to Before the Lights. Hey, Tommy. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing well. This is going to be fun. We're going to go back in time and talk about some of your past projects and what you got coming up. So this is going to be cool. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always fun to do these. And, uh, you know, I'm to the point where I'm in my uh, I'm in my second, seventh decade, but I still remember something. So <laughs> don't go back too far or maybe you could go back really far. You know how that works. Sometimes you remember things from when you were five and you can't remember yesterday, but uh, I'm not to that yet. So uh, shoot them at me and I, and hopefully I'll have some answers. Let's go here. Your mother was a singer, piano player, dancer, and dance teacher. Father was an athlete who served in the army. He also started a TV cable station in Lubbock, Texas. Is it true? Did your, is it your father or was it both your parents that went to school with Buddy Holly? Uh, they both did. They, they met in high school at Lubbock High School at the time. Uh, Lubbock only had one high school, and they met Buddy Holly. Well, they didn't meet him. Actually, they were seniors, and he was a sophomore. And uh, strangely, not strangely enough, but they were some very conservative people in Lubbock in those days. And a lot of the people, not just my parents, but a lot of the kids thought that Buddy Holly and those guys were just way too out there. <laughs> I mean, they, they, you know, to them, they were like Metallica or, you know, something extreme these days. I mean, not Metallica, but, but just something, uh, you know, that, that people would go, Oh man, that is uh, that's some devil rock. <laughs> so I mean, my, my parents thought Buddy Holly, you know, it's hilarious that they thought those guys were just way too strong for them. But yeah, they went to high school with him. He was a sophomore and they were seniors. You lived in Japan for a short time and they went back to Lubbock and then to Plano, Texas. But in Japan, I understand that you had a pet monkey named Miko. Was that maybe the first performances of Brad Leland's career? You know, I go back and wonder why I became an actor. And, and my, you know, both my parents were form, for a form of entertainers. Uh, uh, my mother certainly was, and my dad became a businessman, but he was always kind of a salesman guy. And so, yeah, when I was there, you know, it's the formulative years, Tommy. You, I was three to uh, six years old. And, um, you know, I did. I had a pet monkey named Miko, and, and I was the only little Caucasian boy in the entire Japanese village. Very small village. My dad was hidden there with a few soldiers. And my mom was the only one there uh, that was uh, actually, you know, an American besides uh, me and then my dad and the soldiers. The rest were all Japanese people. And um, and so uh, we lived in a little house, you know, uh, not not anything fancy, but but I did have that monkey. And so I would go out every day and play with the monkey in the backyard and the, in the, the little Japanese people would surround uh, our, our fence and just come up there every day. And, and it was amazing to them to see a little Caucasian boy because they'd never seen one and certainly you see one that was uh uh every day out there playing with his monkey uh, uh yeah and so um yeah and I, I just think since those were the formulative years that that making those japanese people laugh and uh you know just entertaining them i think that could have been the reason that eventually i 
I, I, you know, do what I do, which is hopefully make, make some people laugh and occasionally cry. So, yeah, I think that was probably the origin, although most of my life I, I did sing in the choir and, and do that kind of stuff. And But it was always sports, you know, you, where I grew up, you know, you're going to be a professional athlete. But, of course, I wasn't good enough and, and that didn't happen for me. So I was already in love with the theater and entertaining. So that's what happened. At age six, when you appeared on stage at Disneyland in the Wild Wild West show, you were wearing, I guess, a cowboy outfit and got on stage and did some kind of performance. Was this like the adrenaline push to say, hey, I want to do this for my life? I have no idea because I don't remember, you know, I was only six and I, it's very vague to me. I do remember the cowboy outfit. I got pictures of it. And my dad had a custom cowboy outfit made for me with, you know, everything. It was, it was very cool, you know, uh, very inexpensive in Japan to get real leather and have really cool stuff. So, you know, the cowboy television was the day, you know, was the, was the, was what all of us watched in those days. And so I was, enamored and you know completely obsessed with the little cowboy stuff and and i wore my little outfit and we went into the crazy horse saloon there in disneyland disneyland had been open for two years um and uh so my grandparents were there and my parents and that was it and and we were all sitting at a table watching the show and they asked for volunteers so i went up and sang uh davy crockett which all the kids in those days knew that song and sang my little davy crockett and uh they said it was very strange because I had the microphone and then, and then I finished. And when, and when I finished the song, uh, all I knew was, you know, I took a little Japanese bow. So here, here's a little bitty cowboy taking a Japanese bow. And I came back to the table and my parents were like, what? And my grandpa, what was that? I said, well, that was fun. They, they said, that's what I said. It was fun. And so I guess that was it. I mean, I guess that was sort of, I, I wasn't, I'm not, I wasn't aware of it for years, you know, but anyway, that's what happened. And you talked about how athletics and athlete and football is big in Texas. A few episodes back, I had Coach Randy Allen from Highland Park on the show. Fantastic guy speaking about real-life Friday Night Light football in Texas. You played for Plano. You had a bad knee injury. Your team wins the AAA state championship. Are you still a passionate high school Texas football fan? Absolutely. And I, and I see Randy's games. I see Holland Park. Um, of course, I still see uh, Plano games occasionally. Unfortunately, Plano has three high schools now and they have they've sort of dropped off the map in, in those type of uh, big, big wins and in championships. Uh, you know, we had seven, uh, which we held the state record for a long time. And then there's some schools now that have uh, nine, 10, I believe, state championships in Texas, which is pretty incredible. But um, for years we had it. And, and I, um, uh, you know, I, I'm off the, the subject, but um, I, I still go. Yes, I, I go. And not only that, I think I probably enjoy the, the high school football, especially when it's the really good teams in, in the championship games at Jerry World, which is where they play. And even the seven-man teams play there. And so you can go, uh, you probably, your, your listeners probably know this, but you can go to uh, Jerry World on Tuesday or Wednesday, I believe, and start watching the seven-man teams and, and go all the way through 1A, all the way through 6A in Texas and watch all of the state championship games that week. And you can literally go in there and for a ticket for 20 bucks, you can watch four high school games in one day. 
Um, and it, you could. I mean, I don't know who does that. But actually, I really love them because the players now are so dying good, Tommy. Mm-hmm. They are much better than anybody can imagine, especially the big boys in in, in the big A's. Um, but he, even the three, two, three A's, the athletes are incredible. They're great size. They're in great shape. And they're just better. You know, a lot of these big teams, not just in Texas, but the big but the big caliber teams with the big boys and they're fast, you know, they can beat a lot of colleges. Uh, there's no question about it. And so I love watching high school football because it's so pure. It's not, uh, it hasn't been adulterated by any sort of influence with any college or any pro or any money. And so they're playing, it's a team sport still, and the kids love it. And the coaches love the kids they are there, not for the money, but certainly for the kids. Kyle told me that during Friday night. So he said, he said, I did research with these coaches. He said, Brad, the main thing about these high school coaches is they don't get paid enough for what they do, but the reason they do it is because they love those kids. And and I truly believe that. And so I I love the game for the same reason. I, I love the spirit and the actual thing that happens with a team when when you're part of a team and and you know, I think they carry it throughout their life, whether they win or not. I think they that everyone that's boys or girls, parts of any sports team, uh, that's something special that we use. We all have to be a part of a team, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and you know, I so I it's it's special to me, no doubt. And I can see then where you could draw from that when we get to Friday Night Lights to have that passion come through the screen as Buddy Garrity from your love of high school sports, playing it, and and that experience definitely came through on the screen as you portrayed Buddy Garrity. So when we get there, we'll, we'll kind of reflect back on this, this quick moment. Hopefully you and I don't forget by then. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. After college, you went, you go to Texas tech and then you go to Dallas, you find an agent, you're doing some local theater. Did you portray McMurphy in one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Yeah. What a blast. That was the first, you know, I'd done a lot of plays in college and shows and whatnot. And then after a brief stint of, uh, of just getting settled in Dallas, um, we opened a theater and we started producing and I was directing and, and trying to do plays and we did a couple of plays. And then I was cast as Mac Murphy, uh, in, uh, one flew of the cuckoo's nest and what, and Tommy, one cool thing about it. And I'm going to drop a name here because he's a very famous actor now and a, and a playwright and has won a Pulitzer prize and, and a couple of them. And he's just a, a Tony's, a Tony, a Tony award for his play. And his name is Tracy Letts. Mm. And he was the other main guy in that production. He was 20 and I was 30. And uh, he blew me off the stage because he's just an insanely great actor. Tracy Letts, you see him in everything now. He's, he's, you know, he has been for years. For, for many years, he was just a playwright. Not saying just a playwright, but he wrote plays and, and worked with Steppenwolf in Chicago. So that was a special experience for me, um, getting to start with Mike Murphy. And that's where I got my agent. He saw the... Uh, he saw the production, asked, asked me if I wanted to do film and television, which, of course, I did. And uh, and so that we started uh, with with him and uh, stayed with him for years until he passed me on to someone else. He quit the business and moved, to, moved out of town and uh, passed me on to another agent. So, yeah, that was where I got my first agent and my start in film and television. So from one flew over the cuckoo's nest, then leads into Dallas, Code of Vengeance, and Silverado. Is that all pretty much what happened next for you, Brad? Yes, it was quick and very, I was so happy. And I was, of course, very lucky because, you know, I was only, well, I was 28 or 30. I can't remember if I was 28 or 30. I think it was closer to 30, but 
uh, yeah, uh, Dallas came first. Uh, you know, I got that audition, and and so you you get your SAG card, you know, a right to work state. So here we could get our SAG card without, you know, we could work on a union show without having a SAG card, and so that's how you would get it. And uh, so I got my SAG card, did my first little lines on Dallas. You know, I had one or two little lines, and uh, you know, I got there early in the morning, and then I was through by noon. And in those days, uh, scale pay was four hundred and fifty bucks. And, you know, 450 bucks in those days for three or four hours of work, I thought that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Plus, you know, it's going to go into your, your pension and the end of your life. And all the, you know, they, they, I just thought, well, this is really cool. I liked this as much as I thought I did. And then I got very lucky right after that and got um, Silverado, which was a dream, of course, to go to Santa Fe and spend a couple of weeks with a bunch of already established uh names uh kevin costner's first big picture but um you had brian dennehy and and all those i can name drop all those guys uh just so many so many great kevin klein and, and scott glenn and all those guys so getting to go to santa fe at christmas time snowy beautiful with my wife and uh uh we just got it's funny thing we just gotten uh, our first american express card tommy and uh, what you don't want to do, which I, well, I've never been not with my entire family during Christmas, but but don't go to Santa Fe with your first American Express card and buy all of your Christmas presents <laughs> for your family in Santa Fe because you never pay the bill. It's just thousands of dollars more than you would spend. Oh, it's a credit card. We'll, we'll buy all this cool stuff in Santa Fe and get it to the folks. And it was like four months later, we finally got it paid, you know. So, yeah, um, tremendous experience with working with those actors and and getting to be a part of Lawrence Kasdan's great uh, Western, which lives on, you know, Silverado mm -hmm. lives on as one of those old fun kind of Hollywood Westerns, uh, not, not especially a gritty one, but a great one. As I mentioned in the opening, you're have over a hundred feature films and TV shows. And let's see if I can jog the memory here in 1994, North and South book three, heaven and hell as Buford, Filming this was set in events that were in, occurred in 1865 and 1866. I remember seeing in this series and falling in love with it with Patrick Swayze, and that cast list is ridiculous. What do you recall about that project for you? Oh, my gosh. We had so much fun. We were in Camden, Arkansas. You had Kirstie Alley, who at the time was the hottest woman on the planet. Uh, <laughs> you know, her, and, and, and then you had Pat, 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 Patrick, Patrick Swayze, who was the hottest man. And and they were the leads, of course. And you knew all there was a lot of other people in that show, and and I got to hang out, you know, in the trailers with I think Waylon Jennings was in it, and a couple of old country western stars, and and some people that you know, so uh, lots of actors were in that. So that was a in Little Camden, Arkansas, Hollywood came to town, and man, they treated us great. We had such a oh, I got stories, man. I you know I was I'm an avid golfer, so I immediately went to the country club and said, hey, we're doing a movie in town, can can we come out here and play? And they were like, oh, yeah, man, anything you want. And so I just became this, you know, complete, ridiculous, uh, you know. Uh, and I, I would go to the country club every day and play golf and meet the members and hang out in this little town in Camden and, you know, party and blah, 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 and then go to work at night because we are shooting at night. So I'd go to work at night and work all night and not even sleep, just go to the country club and sleep by the pool and uh, – so I had extreme fun there in Camden and Patrick and, and Kirsty would come over and make an appearance at the country club and all the people in Camden would flock there to see them. And, uh, 
you know, they do one dive off the high high <laughs> dive, uh, you know, one perfect swan dive each and then go back and, and lay in the chairs and let people come over and talk to them. It, it was uh, it was a fun time there, I can tell you. That is a fantastic film. Listeners, if you haven't seen the entire miniseries of North and South, it's a great miniseries. One other thing, Tommy, which was very odd and ironic, you know, after that miniseries, then I did the second North and South miniseries. And we shot a lot of that in San Antonio, Texas. And so I'm there in San Antonio and, you know, I met some of these guys and whatnot, but I was in the group of bad guys and we kind of hung out all the time. And then uh, it, it comes time to do Friday Night Lights. And after about uh, Kyle and I worked together for probably six or seven months. And it's the first time we'd met was, was on uh, Friday Night Lights. We thought until we became really good buddies and started hanging out all the time and realized that we had met each other and hung out at Meteora in, in San Antonio. We knew each other because he was in that second part of North and South as one of the, as one of the leading good guys, you know, the good looking guy. And uh, the good guy. And uh, so it was just one of those deals like, hey, we know each other. We didn't think we did, but we did. Uh, And so ironic and fun. That is awesome. The film Friday Night Lights, you starred as John Aubrey as a football booster. And the film also starred Connie Britton and Catherine Willis. That was also in Friday Night Lights TV series, along with Richard Diller, who played Grady Hunt as the reporter we're all in the movie. How did you get casted for the movie? Um, well, it was just the, you know, it was the regular casting process. Uh, my agent submitted me. We went, I'm trying to remember before the movie, what the uh, audition was. Oh uh, yeah. It was, uh, was in Austin and we drove down to Austin back in those days. There weren't any taped auditions being sent. It was, you drive, you go there, you're in LA, you go to the audition and I drive. It's the same thing, you know, when you were living in Texas, we'd drive all over the country to go to audition. So we drive to, uh, to Austin uh, and, you know, audition for these roles. And sometimes there's some pretty good roles. Sometimes they're just the, uh, the more supporting smaller roles, but it didn't matter because it's, you know, uh, so anyway, um, uh, I went there uh, to audition and I met Pete, Peter Berg, the director was there for the, for the film audition. And I walked in and he's very much into improv and I have fun with that. And so the improv happened and um, it just worked out perfectly. And I just felt, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, the role felt right. And then they, they, they chose me, man. And uh, the rest is, is, is only a great memory. And it's not even a memory. It exists because the show's never gone off the air. So that's how it happened. I got cast and, um, I didn't go have to go. I don't, I don't think I went to callbacks. I think they may have just cast me, which is unusual without having to go back. Yeah. Cause I only had one meeting with, with Peter and we played, we did a lot of improv and, and I walked out and I felt pretty comfortable and I, I got the call just a few hours later saying, uh, I think you got this. And, and so that was, that was pretty cool. Did Peter then come to you and ask you to be part of the TV series or did you have to re audition for buddy Garrity? Uh, the, uh, the TV series is one of those deals where they pretty much, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was pretty much, they just kind of offered it to me and said, Hey, we're doing a TV series. The character is very similar to the movie. Uh, would you be interested in playing this role? And I said, yes. And then they sent me a script and I looked at it. I told my agent, you know, I've got to have, this is a great role. She said, it may turn into 
something. And uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, let's go get it. And and so I think Peter just went ahead and said yes. And and uh, they just cast me. I, there's one of those deals where they had to go through the L.A. casting people because my agent at the time was here in Dallas and it, they'd had to go through that process. Now, now my agent for the past 12 years is, is in Hollywood and LA, but at the time that was one of those deals where you have to get approved by network and, uh, and the, and the casting people there, they were like, yeah, go ahead and go for it. So that was cool. Friday night lights is one of my favorite TV series of all time. I watch it at least once a year. I know my mother watches it probably multiple times a year. And I think the reason that it stands the test of time is it weaves high school relationships and coaching and teachers into storylines. It's not so much a football show. And if people are thinking that is, and you haven't seen it, please give it a chance. If you watch two episodes pretty soon, you'll be up at two o'clock in the morning going, man, I just binge watch eight shows in the first first season and you'll be hooked because it, it interwines things that are still prevalent today. That's why I think this thing's going to stay where it's at for a long, long time. I do too, Tommy. I, I, I mean, I'm not, a, we used to be sort of amazed at its longevity, but now I think it'll probably live on because it's one of the last of its kind as far as a family show. And you're right, it's not about football. Of course, NBC in the beginning were, was marketing it, it was marketed. I don't know if it was their idea to market as a uh, Texas high school football story, but no, it's, it's certainly about life. And I found that out by, you know, traveling around doing, I, I was in Paris doing a, a show a couple of years ago and walking down the streets of Paris, having Parisians walk up to me, Hey, buddy, Garrett. I'm like, are you kidding me? You guys want Friday night lights in Paris? Oh yes. Because, you know, as you said, the story is everyone relates to it because it's, it's about community. It's about team. It's about high school. Uh, everybody went to high school. Uh, you know, everybody had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, everybody had parents, everybody has relationships. It's the whole ball of wax. Uh, of life and it's not Texas. It's universal. It's everywhere. If you play a sport or if you're part of any kind of community anywhere in the world, it, you get it and, and people get it. And that's why they watch it. Bit, eventually they get past that part that it's about football because it's not right. Uh, that's the backdrop. Unfortunately it is. And it, it's a great backdrop because, you know, the team sport of football to me is, is one of the great team sports. It's since there's, you know, it's, 11 players. Where, where do you have 11 and what other sport do you have 11 players? I don't know. I guess there's others. Uh, well, rugby, and I guess. I don't know how many guys. I mean, it's, it's a big, you know, it's so, uh, yeah, it's, it's people finally understood that. And now we continue to get new uh, viewers, uh, you know, the, who for years never watched it and you're right. They get hooked on it and they binge it. I've had people tell me that they've, watched the entire series 10 times. And I, I thought they were kidding. And that's 75 hours <laughs> times 10. That's a lot of Friday night lights. I yes, they, it is. They than I do. Heck, I, we had so much fun doing it. We just got to the point where we didn't even care if we watched it. It was so much fun to do. Uh, you know, I've eventually watched every bit of it, but it became just something that was very special. John Aubrey, in Friday Night Lights, the film filmed in Permian, which is in Odessa, and then Friday Night Lights, the TV series in Dillon, but filmed in Austin. You played the same football booster. Was this character taken after any real person in Odessa, Texas, or is this character just something that you just ran with? Well, it's a little of both. I mean, when it happened, I didn't really first think of this, but as 
you know, and I won't say that I really drew from him as far as doing my work, but I knew that, I mean, when we did the movie in, in Odessa, there is a guy that lives there. And I don't know if I should say, but he, his name is actually buddy. And I asked Pete if, if he wrote that character's name because of him. And he said, no, it was, there was another reason that he named him buddy, but, but the guy's name is actually buddy. And, um, he is very similar to buddy. He never stops talking. Uh, he, he loves high school football. He's a huge Permian fan. He's even been, I believe he's been the principal there. I know he's been an assistant coach there. He was actually in the movie. He had a, a small role in the movie as one of the boosters or, or a coach or something. And I met him and hung out with him. And he was very much like that because he knew everybody in town. They knew him. He was a gigantic sports fan. And he had been an Aggie. Uh, so he was a hardcore Texas A&M Aggie and, and, uh, and uh, was a just this just a character in Odessa, and so I would think of him a lot, um, you know, just along the way. Uh, I never really tried to pattern Buddy after him, but I, I certainly thought about him, and I I liked him. He was a fun guy. I'll tell you that. One time we were out to eat, and he was rambling on, and and I just looked at his wife. I was sitting next to her, and I said, you know does he ever stop talking? And she said, no, absolutely not. I've been married to him for 42 years. He hadn't stopped talking yet. You know, so fun guy. I'm sure he's still there. What was the toughest scene for you to film during that series? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. And a toughie. Let me, well, generally, let me say this while I'm thinking about it. One thing that was tough was that it was always so hot. And Buddy always had to have on suits and ties. And when we would shoot indoors, lots of times we had to turn the air conditioner off for sound reasons. And so it being in, you know, in Texas, especially in Austin, South Texas, in the uh, heat, it heats, it can be hot in the spring, the summer and the fall. So Buddy being a sweat hog, uh, you know, Buddy didn't perspire. He, Buddy sweat. And it was nasty <laughs> and horrible. But it was nothing I'd do about it. So I have dealt with that uh, that was hard but that's generally hard a scene that was oh there's there's got to be some oh oh here's one uh, a scene that i love doing but was difficult was um that coming uh, to try to to win pam back after buddy uh, mm. like kevin Costner says in silverado uh all I did was kiss a girl, um, which was not probably the truth. Uh, but Buddy uh, wanted to come back, and he wanted his wife to take him back. And so there was the scene where he came back to the house and, and on the front porch there, which was a pretty big scene. I think they, they cut a lot of it, but it was pretty much Buddy completely losing it when he couldn't convince her to come back with him. And that was a heavy, heavy time, and I felt like, you know, it was – it uh, it kind of I think it went deep into the the part of Buddy that he didn't want anybody to see. I mean, Buddy wouldn't want anybody really to see him cry. And but with Pam, I think the truth of the matter was he knew that he had really made a giant mistake, and he wanted he wanted her back. And and I think he thought he could get her back. So there was not only the pain of losing her to this, you know, what what, what do you call him, uh, tree hugger. He lost him to that California <laughs> tree hugger, that not eating tree hugger, that, that health nut. Um, and anyway, he, he uh, I think, not only losing her to him, but just losing her, period. And then when she didn't take him back after his pleas, you know, that uh, that moment of recognition when, man, this is over. She's 
she's done. So I think it was giant. Uh, I'm sure there was other times, but that one pops straight into my head, you know, and, and messing, messing up with Lila's money and hurt breaking her heart. I broke her heart. That wasn't good. And I really didn't even want to break Angela's heart. Who was the, the lady that, uh, we kissed, uh, anyway, you know, in fact, they kind of changed the script on that one, Tommy. I'll tell this quick story because when buddy, when buddy decided to break that off, um, of course, you know, it, uh, and then she, of course, you know, outed him at church in front of the entire family. He decided to break that off. I mean, I, I said to her in my office, I said, look, you know, this is a mistake. You know, I'm sorry. I'm, you know, this is terrible. But not only that, I, I, the, in the script, in the beginning, it was like, look, I'm going to give you a crap load of money. It was like $10,000. I'm going to give you $10,000. I'm going to set you up with a friend of mine so you have another job uh, immediately. And I tried to do the best I could to somehow ease it. Well, that's not the way it came out when they edited it. And they kind of changed the line. So it made it look like Buddy was pretty dadgum bad the way he uh, – ended that relationship which you know he certainly deserved it i won't say he didn't deserve it and he deserved what he got at the church but um yeah she was cold-blooded to me and i tried to be real nice to her but that's what happened you do not you know uh a woman scorned not good not good not good guys here was the storyline i was waiting for the writers to put together was buddy garrity to get together with Katie McCoy after she just splits up with her husband. And I thought this is a perfect setup with Buddy Garrity and Katie McCoy, but it just never transpired. Oh my gosh. You know, I thought about that a couple of times. Janine, Jane Turner. Yes. Yeah. I love Janine and, and we knew each other. Uh, we had worked together on a movie years before with Polly Shore, <laughs> where she was Polly Shore's girlfriend, if you can imagine that. Uh, which is hard to imagine, but anyway, I'm um, sorry, Polly. So anyway, uh, the, uh, the thing, you know, it's funny you should bring that up because after Pam left my wife, uh, after Pam left buddy and uh, she was gone. And then you noticed buddy never even had another date. Mm. I mean, I was like, I would tell, ask the producers and the writers say, is buddy, is Pam ever going to come back to buddy or is buddy going to ever have a date with another woman? Is he just, just going to be alone for the rest of the whole run of the show? And they're like, yes, you must pay for your transgressions. <laughs> You'll never have another woman. You'll never have another date. I'm like, come on, dude, that's impossible. Buddy's bound to, you know, but they didn't, you know, so buddy found his, uh, whatever it was he found at the end. How did you pull from your personal passion for high school football and your experience that we talked about earlier to make that relationship really work on screen between coach Taylor and buddy Garrity, because they were either butting heads and loving each other, but there was always where buddy was pushing the right buttons with coach Taylor. Yeah. I mean, I think the bottom line to that is that I, you know, as, as, as caustic, and as you know, meddlesome and all the things Buddy could be, and 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 out of his you know space and and doing things that he and saying things that he shouldn't have been saying that were none of his dadgum business. Uh, but he loved the coach. He loved him as a person. He thought he was a great coach all the way. It was always about I've got a great coach here, but I'm still 
I have to train him. You see, he has to understand how this works because he's never done this before. So there was always that omnipotence. It's like, you know, uh, you're a great football coach and I really like it. I want you to be my coach, but you got to do it. I'm telling you because <laughs> it's the best, it's the best way to do it. I mean, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we have a, a giant sports figure here who is uh, similar to that. We won't, we won't mention any names, but, but it's his way of the highway, and he's pretty much in control of everything. So I think Buddy always had to be sort of in control of everything, even when they when they were butting heads. Buddy was not going to back down to to the fact that he knew what he's talking about, and of course, Coach wouldn't either. So uh, you're right, and it's funny. I went back and watched a few of the first episodes re- recently for another podcast, and I went, "Wow, I forgot that." I forgot that that coach hated me so much and that I was such a pain in the butt to him uh, because the relationship changed over the years and it just wasn't that anymore. But I I'd forgotten how in the beginning it was like, uh, yeah, buddy, you know, buddy, shut up and leave me alone. That was cool. I want to do a podcast plug people check out clear eyes, full hearts. It's hosted by Derek Phillips who played Billy Riggins and Stacey Oristano, who played Mini Colette Riggins. It's released on Tuesdays. Go subscribe to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts podcast to get more in-depth on each episode of Friday Night Lights. I want to move forward now. 2017, you played Scrooge in A Christmas Carol at Wiley Theater in Dallas. What was it like for you going back on stage after spending so much time doing films and TV shows? I got to tell you, it was probably maybe the most fun and uh, one of the most important moments in my life, because I didn't know that I would ever get to go back on stage, which is of course where it all starts. Those of us who sort of get this in our blood, you know, lots of us start in the theater and and that's where it started for me. And, and I didn't really think about ever going back to the theater. Tell you the truth, Tommy, I, I would hope that I would do a play someday, but I certainly would never expect them to uh, trust me or ask me to do such a thing. But they called me out of the clear blue sky from the Dallas Theater Center. They had just won the Tony that year. Um, that's the Wiley Theater in Dallas. And they just won the Tony that year for Best Regional Theater. And so they're they're highly acclaimed. Everyone there is a professional. And they're all mostly, you know, theater people, uh, the crew and the cast. And, and most of them do that all the time, but they, they called me and said they would like for me to play Scrooge. And I, I was like, what, <laughs> you know, and the director and even the, the, the whole, all the people there, I was like, well, I knew they knew me from television, but, but, uh, I said, look, you, you know, you guys have never seen me do a play because it had been 15 years since I'd done one. And they didn't see, they, you know, they didn't see me in college during the time when I was doing plays. And I said, you've never seen me act. You've never seen me sing on stage. You've never seen me dance, of course. Uh, why, you know, why do you think I can do this? And then I was like, I don't know. And, and they were like, oh, we know you can do it. I'm like, well, I'm glad you know. And I, I'll call you back. And so I thought about it. I, I said a little prayer that night. And immediately, the, uh, the, the word was do this immediately. So I called them back the next day. And I had three months notice uh, advanced just so I could start going back to that world of getting in really good shape physically and my voice in shape and, uh, and then walked into a bunch of professional, professional theater actors who were way ahead of me in many ways. But after a long rehearsal period, we got it. And I, I, like I said before, probably one of the most special times in my life because getting to go backstage, play that role in that story, which is one of the great stories at Christmas time. Uh, it's a 500 seat theater. We did 55 performances in 30 days. 
Uh, yeah, I do the math. That's a couple of day with one day off a week. So we did 55 performances in 30 days. Um, never got sick. It worked. You know, didn't get hurt. <laughs> you know, lots of dancing, lots of singing, lots of movement. I was on stage for an hour and a half uh, for each performance. Uh, never went off stage. And then I would do perform two performances a day. And the cool part is you got a sold out house every time, 500 people for because it's Christmas. And so they sell out all the shows, even the daytime shows. And um, and, and it's since it's Christmas, Carol, it has a happy ending. Everybody's crying and happy at the end and laughing and clapping. It's a, it's an automatic standing ovation. So you go back on stage and you get a standing ovation for 500 people, uh, 55 shows in a row. It's pretty damn fun, buddy. And, uh, you know, you there's some screw ups, but it's that theater thing is it's like a game. It's like the, it's like the game you play. You go out, you rehearse. You go out and get ready for the game, and then it's muscle memory. You go out there and you play the game, and it's just fun. It's just you're on cruise control, and it's awesome. Uh, much different than film and television. There's no reward at all like that. I mean, you can do a good scene with somebody, and it feels good, but then you do it again, and it's 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 really special. The adrenaline for an hour and a half or two hours plus the warm-up, the hour or so to warm up, and so it was all my life. For uh, for all that time, for about two months, I had an apartment right next to the theater, so I never went anywhere except walk to the theater and walk back to the apartment. And uh, yeah, it, uh, an actor's life for me. If I could do that all the time, I would. I would do that. Were you in the same play with Liz Michael from Friday Night Lights? I've had Liz on the show as well. Was she in that with you? Absolutely. She was great. We had a great time together and, and had known each other from the theater world before. And then, of course, I knew her as mama smash. So, uh, yeah, she was in the show and we had some scenes together. We had a good time. She's as tall as I am, by the way, I'm nearly, I'm six two and she's, she's right there with me. I, um, yeah, it, uh, I will, you know, I, she's, she's an incredible actor and an incredible presence on stage. Love Liz. She was fantastic. I just, I had a, such a good time talking with Liz. 2019, one of your favorite films is The Last Whistle. A football player collapses during practice. You played Victor Trenton. You filmed this entire film in two weeks in Fort Worth. What is it about this project, Brad, that is so dear to you? Well, you know, my agent calls and goes, they want you to play a, a football coach, you know. And I thought, well, after Friday Night Lights, and it was a few years later, I'm like, I'll never do another football thing. And they go, I want you to play this football coach. And when I heard the story about the young man losing his life and it, it, it had a really good heart to it. And they were, you know, it was also, they're offering me the lead in a movie, which I really haven't done that uh, very often. I'd done, I'd done one or two other pictures, I think where I was the lead character. So getting to play the lead and there was a, there was a nice change in him. Uh, you know, he had a nice art to the character and, and yeah, it was a low budget. A quick little picture. Too. We shot the whole thing in two weeks, but wow, great crew, uh, young, very young. And one of the coolest things about it, the, he asked me what I want. The director said, Brad, what would you like with this show, uh, with the crew or with, with something special about the production? I said, well, 
I heard Quentin Tarantino has this great idea, and I would love to see this. I said, I would love it if nobody had their cell phones on the set ever, because we're there doing a movie. Why do we have our cell phones? I mean, the producers can go outside and use their cell phones for what they need. But while we're doing a show and while we're in there shooting, in the old days, we didn't have cell phones. You know what we did? We talked to each other. We talked about the show. We worked on our craft. We were shooting. We were shooting. We were doing the sound. We were doing the props. And, and we weren't on cell phones and, and being distracted. And he said, we'll do it. And so that we did that. And it made it so much fun because, you know, in between we would have conversations, we would we would sing, we would play music. And it felt like the old days when we made movies without cell phones. And so uh, it was really special in that way to me that I got to work with a bunch of young people who are always attached to their cell phones. But during the, the shoot, they weren't attached to them at all. And neither was I, you know, I go away from it, be away from it for eight or 10 hours and and it, it was in Fort Worth, which is one of my favorite places on the planet. Friendly, friendly people there. It's a it's a big little city. It's a, it's it's not it's different than Dallas and, and Houston. Uh, so loved being in Fort Worth. Friendly, friendly, great people, and and a great time shooting that. It was uh, it was also hot, <laughs> very hot. I think one day it was about 128 or 130 on the field. It was about 105, and then you add 20, 25 degrees because of the, the artificial turf. And oh, and old uh, what's his name? He used to coach at, uh, used to coach at uh, 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 who's who's that coach? He he was in the movie with me. He, he coached at Lose at LSU. Very famous coach <laughs> who's now coaching in another place. He was there, so I got to talk to him about real foot. Anyway, anyway, it's okay. We'll we'll think of it. But anyway. We could look it up, but uh, yeah, well, I had a fun, a fun time, you know, being with a real football guy, and uh, you know, he was a real football guy, and he, he's been doing a little bit of acting, but he went back to coaching football after he, after LSU let let him go. He's he's back. He's at Kansas, I believe now. Mm. Go forward. The, the last whistle was fun, low budget picture, but yeah, we shot it quick, and I, I enjoyed the experience a lot. This is before the lights, but talk about supporting beyond the lights, Celebrity Golf Classic in Austin to aid those with spinal cord injuries. Yeah, man, that's that's a special time too, and that was Kyle. You know, it's Kyle instigating in a lot of ways. We he and I were playing golf one day, and he said, "You know, we we're in the community here in Austin. We need to be a part of it. We need to do something, some kind of charity. You know, well, we've got all this stuff working here." And I was like, "Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it." And what do what do we do? And you know, we're playing, and we're is on this hole, and all of a sudden, we both just you know, it was like I said, "Well, why don't we do a golf tournament?" He goes, "Well, have you ever done one?" I said, "No." But, you know, I love golf and let's do a golf tournament and we can raise money that way. So the that idea was born in one hole and we just went, OK, we're going to do it. And then we talked to uh, some people on the crew and one of the girls on the crew said, I'd love to be the chairman of your committee to put this thing together. And she started working with us and she eventually became the film commissioner of Texas. Very smart lady who who uh, who helped us, uh, you know, and we organized and we got sponsors giant sponsors and it ended up being you know what turned into a one uh, it was a one day golf tournament turned into a four day event at a resort there in uh, Austin and families would come and we had wives day and we had gambling we had a Saturday night banquet and uh, you know performance by live bands and then we had the golf tournament and again you know a, a, a frisbee tournament and it, it just turned into a giant thing and we ended up uh, supporting or sending our money to the Bonacani fund 
uh, Nick Monicani started for spinal cord and then the gridiron heroes, uh, also spinal cord injuries and, you know, boys and girls, not just football. And so we, we raised money for those two organizations and, and did that for six years. Um, it was called beyond the lights and, and hopefully maybe someday it can come back because it was a worthwhile, uh, venture and we loved doing it and we met so many incredible people i I get to go to new york every year for the for the great sports convention up there uh and 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 i've met the biggest sports stars of all time at that so for me it was a dream come true and it you know it personally i get to do that and also of course the most important thing is that we raised a lot of money and and helped a lot of kids it's it's cool to give a family who's very poor, it's cool, cool to give them. We, we gave away uh, completely equipped uh, you know, handicapped vans for their kids who were in wheelchairs. And we could give them an entire van that was decked out with everything they needed. And to watch their faces when we would give them one of those was certainly worth any amount of work that we did. Uh, yeah, it, it's always fun to, to give back something. And that really, that came a lot from Kyle. And then you know, I just did a lot of talking on the phone and then uh, a lot of crazy crap at the golf course. Other than that, you know, well, we had people working for us that were really good. That is outstanding. I love that you guys did that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Can you talk about your new project, Hostile Territory, a post-Civil War about a Union soldier whose children are put on the orphan train when he was presumed dead? Yeah, uh, you know, I just saw it last night for the first time. It just hit the uh, streamers. It was in the theaters, just very select theaters across the country for for the past week. But I think it, it'll probably leave quickly. It's a it's not a it's not a big picture like that. It is big in scope. Um, we shot it up in Colorado, and it's beautiful. You know, there's there's cowboys and there's Indians and there's Civil War and there's horses and there's children and there's trains and there's snow and there's fighting and there's there's, you know, family reunions and it's, it's just a big old, uh, it's a big old happy movie in a way. I mean, it's very sad in lots of ways, but it's that true story of what happened to those orphans in those days, uh, right after the civil war, there were so many orphans because so many parents were killed and, and misplaced that, uh, these orphans were abundant. And so these organizations, I'm the head of an organization that gathers up these orphans and then gets them to various homes across the country through in a real adoption process and people adopt these children. And, uh, then, you know, there was the, the main character, of course, he, he comes home and they thought he was dead and we've already sent his children off to be adopted. So the movie is he, he is in search of finding his family and, and I'm out there all the time with all these children trying to find families for me. I really uh, was pleased with the character. It's really far from Buddy Garrity, and it it's kind of cool. It's a, it's a different voice. I don't know where it came from, but it's a different voice. And um, he's he's got really long hair and a big old beard. And he had uh, luckily I was the warmest one there. They gave me great warm clothing. Uh, so I was always warm in the cold with all these poor little kids who played orphans running around in the rags, and, you know, 20 degrees and snowing. And these little little trooper actors wouldn't, you know, never griping, just out there doing their thing. And, and you know, I was over there with a big old heavy wool coat and everything else. So it was a fun experience, beautiful experience. That's for sure. Listeners, go to the show notes. I'll put a link to the streaming for Hostile Territory. I'll also put one there to the podcast that I mentioned and where you can go watch Friday Night Lights, the TV series and movie as well. Last thing before we wrap up here, Brad, is I know you're a big golfer and a big golf nut. 
And I have a friend of mine who's the general manager at a top 100 Jack Nicholas course here in Las Vegas called Reflection Bay. Whenever you come to Las Vegas, please let me know. You be my guest. I'll take you out. We'll play around to golf. Hey, I love that. You better be careful. I can hop on a plane quickly. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for saying that, Tommy. I, of course, I love it. And I will take you up on that. In fact, I'm, I'm not a huge uh, gambler or coming to Vegas gambler, but I'll thank sure come there and play golf with you. And I'll, I'll make a special trip to do that because I love I love playing. I love new courses. Um, and I just, you know, I've got a thing. I got to tell you real quick, my I still play with the guys. I grew up with an elementary and junior high in Lubbock. I still hang. I've got about 12 or 14 of those guys that I still hang with every year. And we have an annual golf thing and I see them a lot anyway. And then all my buddies from Plano uh, that I grew up with in high school and college buddies, we all play. So um, it's, I'm very fortunate to get to still play with all the kids I've been playing with my whole life. And we're just a bunch of, at this point, we're a bunch of 65 to 70 year old kids out there still doing what we've been doing since uh, uh, we just we just got back from Austin having one. And my oldest friend I've known since third grade. And, and here we were. We're out there playing and going, man, it's pretty weird. We probably wouldn't have thought that we would we would be doing this and we're still doing it. So I will take you up on that. And I look forward to seeing you. Um, also, I, I will do one quick plug, and that is I love doing these cameos and I'm on that cameo app. And so a lot of fans and a lot of people, you know, uh, register on that thing and uh, I'll do a cameo for them. So just look up Brad Leland on cameo and I'll do a cameo for anything, birthdays and anniversaries and, and roasts and all this kind of stuff. It's fun. I'll put a link in that to the show notes as well, folks. You have to go to cameo and get Brad to send somebody and maybe even yourself a personalized message. I think the only way to end an episode like this is for Buddy Gary to take us out with the classic saying of it's full, full Texas accent. I don't think Buddy was ever quite this thick, but, you know, if he was going to say it right now, I think the way he'd probably say it is, Tommy, always remember, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I want to thank Brad Leland for being on Before the Lights podcast. Go follow me on Instagram at Before the Lights podcast and follow the show anywhere podcasts are found. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, a salute, a chin chin.